You know, last week we talked about how we don't always feel intimacy with God. I shared a little bit about uh, where I'm at in my life. I was a little vulnerable last week, and I told you that, you know, I, I'm kind of in a season where uh, I, I don't always feel intimacy with God, and, and I, I sometimes feel discouraged and, and distant from the Lord. And we talked a little bit about the importance of obedience and how some people want intimacy with God without obedience to God. But obedience is the path to intimacy. And we see that throughout Scripture. People who are faithful to God, when God makes a promise to you, He always fulfills His promise. And so the call on our lives is to be obedient, and that will eventually lead us into intimacy with God. You know, many times our lack of intimacy with God is the result of something that that either we are doing or we're not doing. Sin and disobedience can make us feel distant from God. And ignoring spiritual practices like reading scripture or spending time in prayer in the presence of God, it can make us feel far away. And we don't always feel intimacy with God. And that feeling of, of, of not knowing whether God is near, it either drives us into longing to see God's face and it drives us closer to God or it produces a guilt that the enemy turns into shame and it leads us farther away from God because we think there's something wrong and we we don't press into God we get farther and farther away and I'm so encouraged by scripture when I read scripture especially the Psalms when we read the Psalms we see that the psalmist describes this feeling about a dozen places in scripture of this, this idea of God hiding his face from us. He feels, the psalmist feels like God is hiding his face. He says in Psalm 10, verse 1, he says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide, your, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In Psalm 13, 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Isaiah 45, 15 says, Truly, you are a God who hides himself. O God of Israel, Savior. Has anybody ever felt like this before? Or am I the only one? That God, where are you? Where I'm looking for answers. I need you to come through in my life. And I don't feel your intimacy. I don't sense your presence. Why are you standing far off from me? But the question that I want to ask this morning is, Does God really hide his face from his people? And there's actually a lot of theological debate in this topic. And we can observe this debate happening in even some of the songs that we sing on Sunday. There's a song that was written about 150 years ago by a man named Edward Mote. He wrote this beautiful hymn that we still sing today in church. And it goes, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Do you remember the verse? There's one verse in this song that says, and this was the original lyrics. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When darkness veils his lovely face. Well, about 10 years ago, a worship group changed the lyrics to when darkness seems to hide his face. So which is it? Does God actually veil his face from us or does it just seem like he is hiding because of our shortcomings and our failures and our sins? And not everybody agrees on how to answer this question. But we're going to talk about it this morning. You may have gone through a season or you may be currently going through a season where you're experiencing 
that feeling that God may be hiding from you. Perhaps you are here today looking for answers because you don't know who God is. You don't have a relationship with God. Maybe somebody invited you to church today and you're just curious. You're here to check it out. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time and, and, and you're stepping into something very unfamiliar. Perhaps you've been following Jesus for a while, but you read about all the spectacular things in the book of Acts and wonder why God isn't doing those things in your life. Has anybody asked that question before? Come on, let's be honest. Or you see God moving in the lives of others around you, but you don't sense that you're as close to God as they are. It seems like God really speaks to that person. It seems like they have a lot of, you know, cool dreams or prophetic words or they they read scripture differently. And how come I don't have those experiences with God? I have many friends who that know God. I have many friends who struggle uh, to conceive, to have children. and, And they know that it's God's will to bless people with children. In fact, it was the first command that he gave Adam and Eve. To subdue the earth and to multiply. And that means have babies, right? They know it's God's will to, to, to bring children into their life. Yet they still wonder why they aren't able to have a baby despite their faithfulness to God. And reading the Psalms that we just read probably brings comfort to people in that situation. Knowing that you aren't the only one who has felt that way before. In fact, uh, Abraham and Sarah felt that way. Unable to have children. Zachariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents, they were unable to have children for so long and they prayed and the Bible says they were righteous people and they walked in accordance with God's statutes and commandments, but they still prayed fervently and they weren't receiving an answer, but God eventually did answer them, didn't he? He eventually did provide them with the fulfillment of his promise. So we just read these Psalms. Why do you hide your face from me, God? But I want to start off this conversation by first acknowledging that the psalmist knew God, but he didn't know Jesus. We have to understand that. The psalmist knew God. He knew Yahweh. He knew the God of Israel, but he didn't have the opportunity to experience Jesus. You see, before Jesus was born in the world 2,023 years ago, God did not have a face. God was concealing his fullness from humanity because his righteousness in the midst of our sin would destroy people. In fact, in Exodus 33, Moses is wanting to have this experience with God. And, and, he, let me, and Moses cries out, let me experience your glory. And God says, you cannot see my face. I'll, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock and, and I'll come by and you'll be able to see my back as I leave. But if you see my face, you will die. Because his righteousness was so brilliant and so pure that anyone who was in the midst of it that was full of sin, they would surely perish. We see in scripture that God has always been actively creating ways to be with humanity. From walking with Adam in the garden to dwelling in a tabernacle and a temple in the middle of Israel's camp. His focus has always been proximity to us. It's always been proximity to his people. It's been his goal. But God's proximity only came so close in the Old Testament. For the writer of those Psalms, God's proximity only came so close. His presence was always obscured in the temple. And his voice only heard by a select group of leaders and prophets. It was for the few. And God did this. For at least two reasons that we know about. 
Number one was to teach us the value of his presence. And number two, to show us humanity's corruption and weakness, to show us our own corruption, our own weakness, to teach us the value of his presence. Not just anyone was allowed into God's presence. It was reserved for the select few who had special relationships with God, people like Abraham and Moses and David and the high priest in the temple. People Now, that wasn't always God's intention. That wasn't always God's plan. His plan was that in the garden was that, that they, they would be with him, right next to him, that they would, they would have proximity to him at all times. And even after the fall, we see that uh, when Moses went up to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, and received the Ten Commandments, before any of that happened, God invited all the people of Israel to the mountain. They invite, he invited everybody to come. He wanted everybody to have access to his presence. But what did the people do? They saw the thunder and they saw the lightning and heard the thunder and the clouds at the top of the mountain. They said, Moses, you go for us. We don't want, we don't want to die. So Moses, you go and you tell us what God said. And from that point, God established the priesthood. He established the laws, the commandments. And he said, okay, I'm going to speak to the few on behalf of the nation. People were either destroyed in God's presence or they were forever changed and used in mighty ways because God's presence was so valuable and so life-changing. The second thing was to teach us our own corruption and weakness. See, the absence of God created societies that devolved into chaos and wickedness. In fact, the majority of the Bible is just one long story on a loop that reveals what it's like when people try to attain righteousness by themselves or try to decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong. You have the Tower of Babel and people trying to get to heaven on their own and that plan completely fails and you see kings rise up and judges rise up and humanity tries to fix it themselves but it all ends in complete disaster over and over and over again. And this long story throughout the scripture, you know, if you took sin out of the Bible, you know what you would have? You'd have Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. You'd have a pamphlet. If you took took sin out of the Bible, you'd have a pamphlet. But the Bible tells this story. The Old Testament tells the story of this, 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 this humanity trying to make it on their own, trying to decide for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And it all points to the fact that we desperately need a Savior. We desperately need someone who is righteous and holy and can get us back in right relationship with God because we can't do it ourselves. That was all before Jesus. And many of us have stories that describe the same thing. We have a before Jesus story and we have an after Jesus story, don't we? Before Jesus, we were unable to hear from God, unable to access his wonderful presence. We would try to live our best lives, but it fell short time and time again. That was before Jesus. There's a powerful message communicated with God's absence. It reveals how desperately we need his presence. It creates a longing to see his face, to be in his presence. It creates this understanding of how valuable God's presence is and how I completely lack the ability to get there by myself. I need a savior to put me in touch with the creator of the universe. 
That was before Jesus. But 2,023 years ago, well, God, God revealed his face 2,023 years ago. And the details of the first Christmas are recorded in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. But John decided to take, uh, decided to describe Jesus' as coming through a very thoughtful theological lens. And that's what we're going to read this morning. It's the Christmas story through John's eyes. We're going to start with John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, in the, beginning, the word, or in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, the Word describing Christ himself. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're going to skip down to verse 14. And it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Skip to verse 18. No one has ever seen God before Jesus. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. God did not have a face before Jesus was born. The Greek word for glory here, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. The Greek word for here is the word doxa. And it means splendor and brightness, but it also means a most glorious condition or the most exalted state. John here is saying that Jesus is God in his most glorious condition. Jesus is God in his most exalted state. Hebrews chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. He describes it like this. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Right? He didn't speak directly to the chosen people. He was concealing himself. But verse 2 says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son, get this, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustain all, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. God showed his fullness in the person of Jesus. He showed his face and became fully known to people. And it is now up to us to either accept his appearance... Or reject Jesus for a more convenient God. I don't know about you, but I catch myself sometimes thinking that I need more than just stories of Jesus in the Bible. I need more than what I see in Scripture. God, if you would just part the heavens, if I could just hear your voice audibly just one time, that's all I need. God, if you would just spell a message in my SpaghettiOs for me. And, and I would know that you're speaking. God, if, 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 there's, if, if a bird flies by the window right now, then I know this is what you mean. You know, we ask God for signs, don't we? 
God, show yourself. God, reveal yourself. Show me that I'm not alone. I need more. But God says, no, Jesus is the most exalted, glorious state of my being. That Jesus was, was everything I had. When you look at Jesus, you see the Father in heaven. When you look at what Jesus said, when you read what Jesus said, you hear the answers from the Father in heaven. What exactly did Jesus reveal about God? And I want to discuss for the remainder of our time three things that can give you so much joy and passion when you understand who God really is and when you look at his face in the person of Jesus. How many of you want to see the face of God? All we have to do is look at the pages of the Gospels and read about the person of Jesus to understand who God is because Jesus revealed God in the most spectacular way. So what exactly did Jesus reveal about the Father? Number one, Jesus revealed God's character. Jesus revealed God's character. Observing someone's character can tell you What is most important to them? Observing someone's character will tell you what is most important to them. Now, I'm going to brag about my dad a little bit. I remember as a kid, I I started working with my dad aerating lawns a long time ago when I was was young. I'm probably 14 years old. And uh, we would aerate these lawns together, and we'd get done with the job, and we'd load all the equipment back into the truck. And then I would watch my dad walk to the backyard to make sure he didn't miss a spot. And maybe the spot was like this big. Like it wasn't a big spot. It would have been no big deal. But, but my dad, e- even if he missed the smallest spot, he would unload the gear out of the truck after loading everything back up. And he'd go back and aerate those spots. And as a young man, observing his character, told me he was more concerned about honesty and doing a good job than he was about making money. Your character reveals what is most important to you. We look at Jesus and we observe in his character that God is a God of humility. That God himself was born in a manger among cattle. Our God doesn't care about earthly riches or being, or being famous among men. He's gentle and humble and he sought the shepherds in the field to welcome his coming. He didn't go grab the highest officials He didn't go summon the kings. He grabbed shepherds and lowly people and he was born in a manger because humility is a characteristic of of God that Jesus revealed when he came in the flesh. What's another thing about God that he revealed? Another part of his character. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasized the condition of a person's heart and how that is more important to God than the external things, right? So Jesus revealed forgiveness, that he, he, on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about murder and said, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to paraphrase. He said, it's not enough to keep from murdering someone. You're supposed to walk in complete forgiveness. He took all these things a step farther. It's not enough not to murder, but you have to walk in forgiveness towards one another. Check the condition of your heart. Jesus revealed that our God is a God of love. It's not enough to love your neighbors. You are supposed to love even your enemies. He took God's character to the next level when we see him in the flesh. Jesus also revealed that God's character includes devotion and holiness. 
It's not enough to keep from adultery, what Jesus said. Your eyes and your thoughts belong to God. That even if there's a thought in your heart or in your mind, those thoughts belong to God. Your body belongs to God. Jesus modeled to us that God's character also involves devotion and holiness. I'm I'm only going to touch the surface of God's character here. I'm not even going to go into all these things. Jesus also modeled for us that God's character involves obedience. Jesus said it wasn't enough to hear the truth, but we have to live the truth and obey Jesus' words. But Jesus revealed to humanity what is most important to God. Did you know that the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, they're just a list of God's character. It's who God is. Jesus wants to shape us into people who imitate his character. People of love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all qualities of our Father in heaven that Jesus modeled so beautifully because obviously he had the Spirit. He was God. The Spirit of God was his Spirit living inside of him. And he had all of these characteristics, showed us who God is, that we have a God of love. We have a God of joy. I think some of you need to hear that today. I think I remember as a young man always being so concerned about my sin that when I pictured God's face, it was a scowl. You better not step out of line, boy. I want to whack you with a stick. I felt like God was waiting behind every corner to punish me for the things that I was doing wrong. Until I was 19 years old, I had a radical encounter with his presence, and I realized God isn't that way at all, that he's a God of joy. That he loves me. And he corrects those that he loves, yes. But he's a God of joy. And he has a big smile on his face. I just think about how often Jesus smiled when he was on the earth. How, what I wouldn't give. You know, I wish the gospel writers would write a little bit more about that. And Jesus smiled. Now we hear that Jesus wept. But Jesus was glad. The Bible does say that he rejoiced or he was glad or he was amazed. If you long for more intimacy with God, then read the life of Jesus and allow his character to move your heart because it reveals how the Father in heaven feels about you. When you see the character of Jesus, you see the character of God. This is how he feels about you. He's not looking to punish you. Jesus said, I've I've not come to bring condemnation. I've come to bring life. God wants you to have life. He wants you to live it to the fullest. He wants you to experience his joy and his peace. Not saying that life won't be hard at times. It's not saying that you won't face challenges because Jesus promised you will face challenges. But through those challenges, through those trials, we can experience God's peace, his joy, his love, his character, filling our lives at all times. The second thing, That Jesus came to reveal about God is Jesus revealed God's will. And observing observing someone's will can tell you what they want. Observing someone's will can tell you what they want. I bought something online the other day. And the next day I immediately regretted buying that thing. Anybody done that before? 
I do this in the checkout at the grocery store. They got all these impulse buys right there, right? Oh, that Snickers bar looks really good. I haven't had lunch today, and why not? And so I buy a candy bar or some other knickknack, and after I eat it, I wonder, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I didn't need that. You see, God doesn't make impulsive decisions like we do. And he doesn't make mistakes. The Bible tells us that if Jesus performed a miracle, it is because God in heaven wanted it to happen. If Jesus spoke truth, it's because they were God's words that Jesus heard from his Father in heaven before speaking them out. In John 5, 19, this is what Jesus said. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus is saying in this moment, when you see me do something, it's because you can take to the bank that the Father wants this done as well. He wants your healing. He wants your freedom. He's not opposing God at all. Many people think that the God of the Old Testament is very different from Jesus. Far less loving, far less merciful than the person of Jesus. But the truth is, God has never changed. From the moment humanity sinned, he set in motion a plan to buy them back from sin and death. God's heart has always been the same. Read about the life of Jesus to discover what it is that God wants. And if you aren't sure that God wants you healed or that God wants you whole, read what Jesus said to those who were sick and tormented by demons and addictions. It'll bring you hope. It'll give you passion. It'll show you God's heart for your life because Jesus modeled perfectly the character and the will of the Father in heaven. And the last thing is Jesus revealed God's mission. Jesus revealed God's mission. Observing someone on mission tells you what they are determined to accomplish. And I love what Jesus did when he visited his hometown and they asked him to read in the tabernacle or in the, in, in, in the, in the synagogue. They asked him to read in the synagogue. It wasn't the tabernacle. It was the synagogue. And they, he calls for the scroll of Isaiah 61. The scroll of Isaiah. And he opens up the scroll and he reads his mission statement to the earth. This is what I'm determined to accomplish. And he says, and this happens in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Jesus read the scroll and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he put down the scroll and he said, these things have been fulfilled in your presence. This is what Jesus is determined to accomplish. Now, Jesus set in motion this mission, right? His presence brought heaven to earth and gave us access through the, through the spirit of God. Now we have access to freedom. We have access to healing. But let me ask you a question. 
Is there a sense that this mission has been accomplished when you look around the world today? You look at the world today. Are there still poor who need to hear good news? Have all the captives been set free? No. Have the blind all received their sight? Are people still oppressed? Yes. And the reason we see that is because Jesus made you and I the continuation of his mission. And he is still just as determined to accomplish this mission as when he was 2,000 years ago walking around the earth. This is his mission. This is what God is determined to do. That This is what he is going to do. It's not, oh, I hope God does it. Oh, maybe. No, God is going to accomplish his mission. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Jesus passed this mission off to you and I when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to ask Mary to come up, and she's going to play a little bit as we kind of go into this closing moment. But if someone once told you that God has determined some people for heaven and other people for, he- for hell, there are streams of the church that believe this. That God has already pre-selected those who are going to spend eternity with him. And he's already determined who is not going to spend eternity with him. If someone once told you that God has determined some people for heaven and others for hell, you can flush that theology down the drain when you read the words and observe the mission of Jesus. Because God is determined to set all people free. Jesus said that he died so that all may come to him. For God so loved the world, not the chosen few, not the select few, but God so loved the world. It is his mission to see freedom and healing and wholeness on the earth. Would you close your eyes with me? Remember this the next time you close your eyes to pray or you look into the sky And God feels impersonal or distant. Remember this. That the same God whose face we can't see when we look into the sky is the same God who wept over the death of his friend Lazarus and called him out from the tomb. It's the same God who touched the leper and said, I am willing to heal. The same God we doubt would call an unworthy person like me is the same God who calls farmers and fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes to follow him. The same God whose voice we often struggle to hear is the same God who calmed the waves of the sea with a whisper. The same God whose goodness and mercy we often question is the same God who washed the feet of his followers and died a criminal's death to be close to you. The same God who allows sin and brokenness to continue is the same God that will one day put an end to it for eternity. When it feels like God is hiding his face from you, 
and you long to see it, look no further than the first four books of the New Testament and learn about the God who created you. Find your identity in Jesus. Find your hope in Jesus. And if you question the character of God or what God wants for your life or if he's determined to do something in your life, look at the person of Jesus. Read his life and allow it to change you and give you an understanding of who God really is. If you're in this place this morning and you've been feeling distant from God and you've been feeling like he's, he's a million miles away or you keep coming back to that same place of, of repentance and falling back into sin and repentance and, and you, you, you struggle and you don't know all the time if God is pleased with you or if, he's, if he still even loves you. I would just say if you're in this room and you want more intimacy with God, would you just raise your hand? If you're in this room and you say, I want to know God fully. I want to know Jesus fully. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I want to know you. I invite you into my life. Help me overcome these struggles. Give me your Holy Spirit and empower me to do the things that you want me to do. I give you my life, Jesus. And I seek you out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a moment. If you're in this room and, and maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe you're in this room and, and you don't know a relationship with God, but you say today... I'm making that decision. Would you just raise your hand for me to see? Let me see your hand. I see your hand in the back. Yeah, I see your hands back there. I see your hand here. I see your hand back there. Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And and Spirit of God, I pray that you would confirm in these hearts, these people with their hands raised and say, I want to know you more. I want to forsake everything to follow you, Jesus, to give you everything. God, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. God, would you, uh, would you show them a new way to live? Surround them with people who will love them and, and help them grow into maturity in their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand together with me? I'm going to invite the ministry teams to come forward, the prayer teams. And if the prayer teams could just make their way on, on the sides of the room here. I just want to invite you. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and uh, you feel like you just need somebody to pray with you. You're going through something or you need healing in your body or, or you need to see breakthrough in an area, in a relationship or a financial breakthrough. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to find someone up here on the stage. Mary's going to continue to play and and people are going to exit. But don't leave this room without getting prayer with someone, without taking care of business and coming to God and, and, and offering things up to him. So God bless you, church. I love you. I hope to see all of you tonight here at 4 o'clock as we sing praises and Christmas songs to Jesus. But if you need prayer, come forward. The rest of you, we'll see you next week. We'll see you tonight. Amen.